Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred and delayed can cause us to get, to slip in our confidence. And, and uh, Galatians 6, 9 tells us not to grow weary in well-doing. For in due time, we will reap if we faint not. Faint-heartedness is something that we have to resist. It's a temptation that we'll have to overcome. Good news is Isaiah 40 says, they that wait upon the Lord will gain new strength. The, the young men stumble badly and he gives power to the faint. He will augment, supplement you even when you're exhausted and faint-hearted. Even if you slipped in your walk with the Lord. He, he, he's married to the backslider. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. He redeems our life from the pit. So he'll subsidize us when we're doing great and he'll subsidize us when we're struggling because he's our savior and our Lord and he cares deeply about us. I've been holding my little grandkids and thinking about how precious they are to my heart and what it does to you. You know, I've had people describe, oh, when you're a grandpa, you're going, oh, it's going to help. And they can't even explain it because it's a euphoric kind of a happening. And it's just, you start feeling the preciousness of life and you, you know, you can have a sour mood and you just hold this little, you know, five, six week old child and you just look at them and it's, it, there's hope. You get a handful of hope, you know, and there's just, they, have, they don't do anything for you. I mean, every time I hold my little grandson, I prompt uh, a diaper full of poop. I must be like good for his digestion or something. And I, and I immediately pass him off to them. This is part of why grandparenthood is great. I pass a, here's a poop diaper for you, mom and dad, because I paid my dues. But it gives you hope. I feel like crying over it. It's just so precious. And I think, oh, God, I want this young man and I want this young girl and any other grandkids that come to have hope in my world that I'm in right now as my particular age. I'm over 28 years old. And I'm, I want to give, I want to be a person that carries a hope quotient for the next generation. And so, listen, what is hope? It's not baseless optimism. It's not wishful thinking. It's not resignation and just kind of artificial giddiness. It's, they're not platitudes, and it's not just a bunch of positive thinking. What it is is, God, you're God, and you have a beautiful plan. You are great, and your plans are for welfare and not calamity. And you, for the church, you have not destined us to wrath. You actually poured out your judgment and wrath on your own son, and it pleased you to crush him. Not because of sadistic attitude, but to pay the price for humanity and prove the love you have for humanity to such a degree that your beautiful son at 33 years old would die on a terrible cross at the hands of harsh people. And he would even at that point say, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Because he, he, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of God. Right now, he's the, he's the audience of one that we worshiped. He is here present in the church right now where two or more are gathered. There he is in our midst. The psalmist said, one day in the presence of the Lord is better than a thousand without. I talked to a couple. They've been here for 11 years. They were in a liturgical sort of background. The man hadn't been saved. They got invited to come to church. They said they drove up during Christmas. I said, well, what was it? said it was, and they kept going back and forth, the husband and the wife, trying to explain in the last service, it's, it's the presence of the Lord. 
And that by this show, all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. And that's what's cool about the church. No two of us are alike. We didn't particularly pick to hang with each other, but Jesus picked to bring us to the body. People talk about diversity and all that stuff. Man, you look at the church. The church, man, it is unique. I mean, God has a biker sitting next to a banker, and we all need each other, right? I remember the tint on my grandma's hair blue, and then we had punk rockers with blue hair. And I remember preaching in England in the 70s during punk rock, and I remember preaching to two categories of blue hair people. Remember that? We had the, the, the elderly with the blue hair, and we had the punk rockers with the blue hair. I love blue hair church. World's trying to get us all self-conscious about all this stuff and meticulous about everything. It's like, wait a minute, man. We serve Jesus from whom every family on heaven and earth has derived his name. What about all this ethnicity? We all go back to when the beginning God made us in his image, male and female. What about gender? He made us male and female. We're all one in Christ. Man. And around the throne, people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every dialect. It resolves this whole emphasis. It puts it back to what matters most, Jesus Christ and him crucified. This couple said they came here and they started to cry. They were crying while they were explaining it to me. They said, oh, yeah, they had you had camels. And then they sat on the front row and the, and the camel knelt down right in front of them sitting next to Jana. And Jana reached over and comforted her, you know. But it wasn't the camels so much. It was the culture of the vibrancy of the hope that is in us. Listen to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Let's read this out loud together. Romans 15, 13. You ready? Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's say it again. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I live with a righteous, loving, thoughtful Christian woman named Pastor Patsy. And she has always helped me to stay in faith. She'll even say to me, we just need to stay in faith. And for that matter, I'm saying to you, we need to stay in hope. We are prisoners of hope. We need to understand what hope is, that hope is anchoring. Hope will settle us. Hope will help us when things look hopeless. Even Abraham and Sarah had hope against hopelessness. I heard the testimony of this couple that came to terms with a resolve to walk with God by just coming and being around the culture of the church. They said, well, it was the animals, it was camels, it was a Christmas, it was, this, it was the vibrancy. They, they began to try to describe it. And what it was is who it was. It was the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is with us right now. He's our teacher. And he's cheering us on. He's the one that brings revelation to us about who Jesus is. He's the one that shows us how to pray when things are overwhelming. He's the one that gives us hope throughout the course of our days. He's the one that stirs us when we feel stagnant. He's the one that helps us when we feel hopeless. He's the one that addresses our bitterness when we get sour. Another thing about grandparenthood, we had our little... Lyric, our little three-year-old, she was in her house sitting at the counter. They had made quinoa and a bunch of other stuff. 
I didn't even know about quinoa. It's like an ancient grain. I just found out about it. But anyway, she loves it. And her grandma makes it really nice. And she looked at me, and I was in the kitchen, and, I, and she said, why is your face like that, Papa Jay? And I realized I could feel it. My resting face was sour. And she called it out. She's filterless right now. And um, the fact is, a merry heart makes a cheerful face. And it doesn't mean we put on giddy art artificiality. I mean, there are people, I just prayed with a man who had a lung removed a few years ago, and he needed prayer because they said he's terminal and needed to have hands laid on him. So I called two people out who've overcome cancer, who really were qualified in terms of understanding battles to be able to pray in faith for him. The prayer of faith will save the sick. And I have hope for that, and I have faith for that. And I know God loves us, and he can see us through. It's a breakthrough year. You know, there's even a movie about a young man who fell through the ice not too far from here, and a group of people who refused to quit. And I pray that that touches people's lives. This is a breakthrough year, and it's interesting that film's named Breakthrough. I just thought that was cool. May the God of hope, what are you facing? What are you facing? It, 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 it's not unnoticed by God, whatever it is. He's sensitive to your hurt. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses because he's been tempted in all points as we, yet he's never sinned. He's been touched, King James says, with the feeling of our infirmities. So the dark moments, the hardness, the disappointment, the why... And I want to encourage you to try to fend this off if you can. This is part of why I'm preaching this. Why God, why, and why me, and all that self-pity stuff. I'm qualified to speak on it because it can alight on any of us, okay? And we just have to fight and resist that. That's, that's really not a zone we should stay in for very long. And yet David said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in him. And he, he said in one scripture, I offered my complaint to him. And, I, and we're not to be whiners, but God can handle our situation. He gathers our tears in bottles, the Bible says, and he knows our wanderings. He knows our down-sitting and our uprising. He understands and loves you. This is a good message. God's not indifferent. I'm not a deist. Well, there's some sort of big power out there, you know, on the molecular level and the atomic level and is impersonal, and God doesn't care about us. He does care about us. God calls us to cast our cares on him. So, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? One translation says, by your good works, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. We live in a culture and a custom and a world that in many cases, leaders are arising who have absolutely no foundation in the gospel don't understand God, don't understand the Bible, don't understand the values that are espoused by such, and they're going to need believers who are real. You might be the only Bible people in this world of illiteracy, biblical illiteracy, will ever see. You are an, a living epistle. You are a living letter. You're a fragrant aroma of Christ unto God. You're a carrier of the presence of God, and I want that quotient to be amazing. I want you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, fire, filled with the word, filled with security, filled with hope, filled with skills, and even development of technique. He that is wise wins souls. You understand how to pray. We're to be a house of prayer for the nations. Not worry about things, but pray about things and really get the job done with a spirit of prayer. 
be full of faith, be people who worship God with our, with our singing, and, and even if it's off key, making a joyful noise unto the Lord. Come on. But be carriers. Of, who can harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Jeremiah said, it's like fire shut up in my bones. Paul said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. It becomes uncontainable. It becomes a resource that overflows. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so you may abound in hope. The gentleman and his wife that were here, he was head of cane and he had, he had sort of this ashen look in his face. They said it's terminal and I thought, I'm gonna call these two people who have been through some stuff. One guy was quarantined. One guy went through one battle after the other. Just when he was coming up for air and had one nostril up above the water, he got dunked down again. And, and, and his wife was crying, and we, we couldn't even visit him in the hospital. And he was right there. You come pray for him. You, your battery's charged. Get your defibrillator paddles on this guy. And this lady, heart transplant, kidney transplant, what? Face so swollen from steroids, and yet couldn't diminish the smile on her face. Fatigue, tiredness, waiting and waiting and waiting. And then I watch it and I think, God, forgive me for whining about anything. Forgive me for whining about anything. God, forgive me. Please forgive me. And then I think, world, you better pay attention to this moment because there's a breed of people who have Jesus in their lives and they're different now. There's hope. We carry hope. And in fact, this is what the scripture says here. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify. Set Jesus Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense or to give an account to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence, we're to be gentle, reverent, not heavy-handed, not weird. This message is too important for us to embellish it with weirdness, quivering, trembly strangeness. We don't need religious affectations in today's world. We don't need church speak. We don't need spooky to try to show how spiritual we are. I aim so in the anointing. No, just be who God's called you to be, please. It's desperate. We don't have time for you to channel your dysfunction with affectations, we've got to have credible witnesses in today's world sharing Jesus effectively in a non-threatening way. These guys that drove up, they saw, you didn't know it. You weren't needing to perform it. You were just being about the Father's business. They came in the culture of the kingdom, and they were one. I believe if we show Jesus, like Pastor Wally Hickey, happy church, married to Marilyn Hickey, he's home with the Lord now. He said, I think that if Jesus were presented the way he really is, people, the world would find him irresistible. They called their church Happy Church. Actually, there were nuns that would go visit their church from their convent. And they'd go visit this spirit-filled church, and they just said, let's go to that Happy Church. <laughs> That's a good name for a church. I like St. Louis Family Church. That rolls off the tongue. I like Jesus being the head of the church and how we can sanctify him as Lord in our hearts. And so that just in case people ask you, what makes you tick? Why do you have joy when everything else is falling apart? Why are you standing up when everybody else is laying down? Why are you showing up when everybody else is backing off? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jesus is central in my life. I was in the hospital in California, and uh, they helivacted us to this. And 
The other two guys were so out of it, he had to tell me, so this is what we're doing. We're flying this guy to this hospital because of his eye injury, but we're flying you two because you're in critical condition, and this is a trauma hospital, and it was in the heart of the hood in Los Angeles. We had gunshot victims sitting, laying next to us, people falling on the floor, screaming. We had to go through metal detectors. It was in the heart of the hood, and they saved my friend's life, and I'm forever grateful. I watched them work on him. I watched him for hours. Patsy was there all night. I begged to ask him to tell me what was happening to him. I didn't know whether he was dead or not. With all the HIPAA laws, I thought, please, I know you can't tell me. Can you at least tell me if he's alive? And God saved him. I had to spend 24 hours in the emergency room because they didn't have any beds because this was such a jam-packed county hospital. I spent 24 hours in a little gurney laying there in the hallway. They would move me places. They would be doing stitches on my face, and they'd say, hey, you have to move him out of here while they're in the middle of the stitches. So I kept my goatee. I don't even know what's under there. Because they kind of stitched it on the move. They didn't even shave it. It was like, I hope they did a good job with the stitches. I had blood running down my face. They said, I think we need to stitch up his face. It's like, yeah, maybe. They were triaging, and I was way down the list. Guy came in and said, they're going to try to check you out. If you were my brother, I'd want you to stay here because you had such a chest impact. You should wait so they could check the enzymes in your heart to make sure your heart's not damaged. And he was a big shot in the hospital. So I said, okay. And I... You know, so I stayed. They put me in a room. I've never, in all my hospital visits, I've been in hospital visits with two people to a room, even three people to a room, but never four people in a room. I stayed in a room with a Filipino guy who had had an amputation, African-American man who had a blood clot that was half the length of his leg, an Asian man that was over here siphoning himself because of cancer. And I'm in there with relatively, I mean, I had broken the ribs and a sternum and smashed face, and my arm was all swollen up, and I was hurt. But nothing like those guys put me in perspective. I could overhear them. I wasn't eavesdropping. There were little curtains between us. And I hear that man siphoning, and I looked at the twinkle in his eye and how much he wanted to live. I overheard the man over in the corner, and he was crying, and he was quoting scripture to whoever was on the other end of the phone. It was deep. And he was quoting scriptures. With long life, he'll satisfy me and show me his salvation. I love that Psalm 91. So I I was able to get out of bed. I walked over to him, you know, with the IV and everything. And the stupid, crazy (laughs) gown. It's just cruel. You just don't back up with anybody. You just keep going forward, if you know what I mean. And I went over to the one guy and I said, sir, apparently you've been through some stuff. He went, yeah. He had a female companion, maybe a girlfriend or wife, I don't know, or a sister. I don't know what the relationship was, but she, she was being supportive. Sitting at the side of his bed and he had an amputation just below the knee. I said, would, you, would it be okay if I pray for you? And he goes, yeah, man. From his brokenness, you know. I had hope. I was still alive. I saw God save us. And I saw all these guys, and I figured, man, while I'm here, I'm going to pray. So I prayed with that man, and it was deep. I went over to the other guy, and I quoted the scripture to him. And he went, how'd you know that? And I said, I heard you on the phone. He went, oh, okay. And he was crying. He was really struggling. I said, man, let's believe God. That blood clot doesn't travel, and you get out of this. He said, oh, thank you, man. Thank you. And then I went over to the Asian man, and he just kind of looked at me. And he couldn't speak because of his, he had his mouth all filled with equipment. But I had hope for him. While I was there, 
Some people go, praise God for that accident because if I hadn't had that accident, I wouldn't be able to minister to that guy and that guy and that guy. I don't say it that way. I say, God, it's weird I had that accident, but in the midst of it, thank you that I get to share the gospel with that guy, that guy, and that guy. See the difference? It's not semantics. It's just like, oh, this is so, God, thank you. so. No, it's like, God's like, what were you doing? trying to prompt you not to smash into that rock in the first place, right? Hopeful Christians have staying power. Hopeful Christians are durable. Psalm 91.1, this is the other end of that psalm that the guy with the blood clot quoted. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide, I repeat, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. The shadow of the Lord is on your numbness in your hand. The shadow of the Lord is on that depression that he's trying to get you out of. The shadow of the Lord is on that, that rebellious kid that's out there uh, doing the stupid decisions and you're believing God for the shepherd to go retrieve them. The good shepherd is on your finances to fi fan the flames and revive you. The shepherd is there to burn up those cancer cells and bring restoration to you. It says in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you by my Father who's in heaven. This causes a hopeful believer to have staying power, to last and last and last and last. I'm not impressed with shooting stars and meteoric little overnight successes. What intrigues me is little German Charlotte at 91 years old, sitting in a restaurant by herself, having convalesced her husband all the way to the point of his death, 67 years married, traveled all over the world. He served in two missions in Vietnam, and she's sitting there without any self-pity, and I looked over at her, and I thought, this is interesting to me. She said, maybe I ought to write a book about the bombings, and I said, maybe you should. This generation needs to hear some things. I'm intrigued by people who get up and go forward. It impresses me about how good the resurrection power of God really is. You're built to last, do you understand? You're built to keep going and going and going and going. When I heard that gentleman over there crying, talking to somebody on the phone with a, his blood clot, it's, you know, it's, they're not, it's not, and he's, but with a long, yeah, you're right, with a long life, he said, and it just in the broken, crying, Desperation. I've detected faith, hope, and love and the magnificent power of God to move on his situation. I'm convinced God allowed me to go into that room and be with those guys. Well, the Lord, that's why God put you in there so you get in that broken, it all hurt so you can, no. God's like, what are you doing? I gotta have all these extra angels now all over you because you think you're supposed to go out there in the middle of the night and jump in the water. You get smashed up on a boulder. I gotta, now I've gotta get a Coast Guard, US Coast Guard guy to jump out of a helicopter, get you guys and have people to hell evac you out of here. Uh, but in spite of it, I'm gonna work it out. How many of you are here in spite of it? By the grace of God. Who in here is like, oh man, that's the grace of God. See, this is why smugness can't really rest upon, like, spiritual pride is weird. It's like, oh, I've got to figure out all the systems. I, yeah, I always believe in God for this, blah, 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 blah. It's like, come on, you're so insecure, just back off. Your testimony is, I'm nothing without Jesus. <laughs> in fact, listen, Christians produce results. Apart from him, it says, 
He, he said in John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. We can do a lot of things. You know, you could build a lot of things. You could achieve a lot of things with human resources and natural power, lean on the arm of the flesh and whip up a bunch of doodads and thingamabobs. But unless the Lord builds a house, they that build it labor in vain. So we must trust God and be resilient and reliant on him and say, Lord, I'm trusting you. Somebody asked me to pray for him before I lay hands on him. It's not like, oh, yeah, I'm, I know about healing. And I, no, it's like, God. And I'm looking around. Who are people who have survived? Come on over here. Let's get on this thing. Because God is the healer. Before I share the gospel with people, Lord, please be with my mouth that this doesn't just bounce off the wall like a rubber ball. Open up Charlotte's heart. You know, I went back to the car and Patsy had tracks because she had talked to a waitress and she said, hey, uh, go back and give this to Charlotte and then also give it to this other girl because, I, I, you know, you just go in there and do the witnessing for me. So she described this waitress. I went and I found another waitress. She was washing her hands and she said, I want to give you this. She goes, what is it? I said, well, you just read it later. She goes, I just put it in my pocket. So I put it in her pocket, you know, and, and then I was like, okay, so maybe it'll get to the other one. I gave it to the wrong waitress. But Charlotte... I found the track from our own foyer, but this one was interesting because Patsy brought them on our trip, and I said, why do you have these? I felt led to get them. Where'd you get them? In the foyer at church? I went, oh, yeah. So then I looked at it, and it said, in World War II, I thought, we just talked about World War II. So I went back over to Charlotte, and I said, hey, Charlotte, this is about World War II. She said, okay. So it has a sinner's prayer on the bottom. So you agree with me that Charlotte, 91 years old, is going to come into the kingdom starting right now in Jesus' name. Listen, hopeful believers have staying power. Hopeful believers are built to last. Hopeful believers are encouragers. Listen, there's a deficit on encouragement right now. None of us want to speak platitudes. None of us want to be flatterers. None of us want to be giddy. None of us want to be artificial. None of us want to blabbity blab, 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 blab. But you know what? When that guy had that, the amputation, the leg-long blood clot, and the siphoning of the cancer, they needed encouragement. They needed courage. Encouragement is to impart courage. Winston Churchill said this during World War II. He said it's courage that counts is what he said. He routinely told his British colleagues, hey, we've got to stay courageous. That's what God told Joshua and Caleb. Only be strong and very courageous. Only be strong and very courageous is what I think those people sensed when they drove up. They said, well, there were camels, there were live donkeys. And no, it wasn't that. And they said, no, it wasn't that. It's the culture of the vibrancy of the ongoing nature of the body of Christ. It's powerful. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be his witness. The purpose of Pentecost was in order that we would be effective to have staying power, to be encouragers, to be able to obey God. Isaiah 119, hopeful people obey God. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. Matthew 721, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he, he who does the will of God, my Father is the who is in heaven will enter. 
There's a call on our lives, you and me, to be obedient to the heavenly vision. Paul said, I was faithful to the heavenly vision. And obedience begets blessing. And when we're willing and obedient, we'll see great results. Figure out, consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. A hopeful believer produces fruit. A hopeful believer glorifies God. A hopeful believer has joy. Hopeful believer has joy. I've spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. John 15, 11. Hopeful disciples of Jesus following his example, doing what he calls you to do in his footsteps and think, thinking in action will produce marvelous results. Marvelous results. We're results-oriented people, and God is calling us to greater levels of fruitfulness. Signs, wonders, and miracles are to follow us. But you're sitting here, and you're thinking, well, I feel like I've fallen through the ice, Pastor Jeff. I feel like I've been in a boat wreck, Pastor Jeff. I feel like I need to be helivacked from the, to the hospital in the hood, Pastor Jeff. Well, Jesus, the good shepherd, knows, understands, cares, and demonstrates his love. You've got a wayward person who's sniping at you. Let's pray God will touch their lives. You've got an alarming symptom or you're going through a dark period in your life. You feel unfulfilled and dissatisfied. Listen, whoever calls on the Lord will not be disappointed. So we keep calling out to the Lord. Let's all stand up on our feet. Let's go back to Romans 15, 13. We're going to read this out loud. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Now, now read this to the person next to you. Make a fist and kind of nudge their arm. And say, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That's good, see? All right, it's contagious. Now look, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Say it again. So that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We honor you today, Lord.